Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. In this week's episode, I'll be discussing the NFL as training camps begin to open. I'll be discussing the NBA, some quick hitters there. I'll touch on college football, and then I will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to like, follow, and turn on any post notifications for all Justin Time social media for your breaking news updates and highlights. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome into the show. I am so excited to be with you guys on a Friday afternoon as we've gotten used to recording these things. This will be one of the few podcasts all year that you guys will hear pretty soon after I record it. Um, I mean, it might be one of those instant upload things, like as soon as I finish, edit it and upload it situation. So the news will be current, the information will be current. You won't have a delayed reaction like you guys somehow sometimes have. If I record the night before and upload it the morning after, uh, this, that, and a third. But of course, you guys heard in the intro what we have in the NFL, um, including my full schedule predictions. It's when I spend way too much time, uh, about an hour, hour and a half, um, picking every single game through the season. Uh, we'll get into that more in just a few minutes. Of course, we'll have the NBA. Um, we'll have college football, some college football news as stuff is moving around. And then we'll have our best for last. Um, everything, as always, is timestamped. So if you're a, if you're a football person, you stick around here. If you're NBA, jump a little further in. If you're college football, jump a little further in. Um, and then, of course, best for last is going to be on Shohei Otani. So if you want to hear a little Otani awe and wow, jump into Shohei Otani. Um, but as always, we're going to start off with the NFL, um, which is usually our eight block, especially when NFL season's end. It is the NFL. Um, training camp is open. And, of course, there's usual highlights. There's always some unfortunate injuries. Um, this time, there was some very, very um, incendiary comments, um, which is not typical this time of year, at least not from coaches. Um so we're going to jump right into quick hitters with some injuries before we go into the main purpose of uh, this A block. Um, and that is, here, start off with Jalen Ramsey, a Miami cornerback. Jalen Ramsey uh, suffered a meniscus tear. Um, he underwent a full, complete repair actually today. Um, a few hours ago, actually, he underwent surgery. And uh, it was a full meniscus repair that would knock him out until at least um, December. So unfortunate for him, he was that big acquisition his offseason after getting Tyreek Hill last offseason. The offense when he got Jalen Ramsey this offseason to solidify their defense opposite Xavier Howard and the rest of that uh, Miami Dolphins team, especially on that defense. And he's out till at least December. Uh, reportedly, he was guarding Tyreek Hill on a pass route, um, went down grabbing at his left knee. Uh, now. Ramsey is not financially incentivized to rush his recovery. He's fully guaranteed this year, and he's fully guaranteed next year. He renegotiated on his way into Miami. 
Um, so he's not financially incentivized at all to rush back. You see some guys, oh, they're in a contract year, or this is the last year they're guarantees, which in the NFL is a contract year, or this is the last year where like next year is a $2 million guaranteed roster bonus. Um, so they rush back trying to show they're healthy so they don't get released and have to renegotiate a contract and everything. He's fully guaranteed this year, and he's fully guaranteed next year. So he's in no financial incentive to rush back, even in the slightest. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what Ramsey ultimately decides to do. Um, he's already he's tweeted out, you know, his end of the season push is going to be legendary. Um, so he's planning on making his return this season. He's a baller. He's a gamer. He's not one of those guys that I would say, okay, he takes the whole year to come back, make sure he's fully healthy for next year. He's not one of those guys. If he, if they say he's clear for week 10, he's playing in week 11. You know, like, he's ready to go. Um, he's gonna obviously going to work himself back smartly. He's not going to rush it, but at the same time, he's going to be back this season. I would be highly shocked um, if Jalen Ramsey does not play this season. So, uh, again, full meniscus repair for Ramsey. Um, expect him back around December-ish uh, from that repair. The Cincinnati Bengals underwent the scare of a lifetime. Um, Joe Burrow was escaping the pocket outright. I have it posted on my socials. Escaping the pocket outright. Um, came up lame. Uh, starts limping around the field. Um, Emir goes down. Obviously, everybody in the state of Ohio, especially in the Cincinnati area, collectively holds their breath um, because Joe Burrow is on the ground. Ultimately, it ended up being a calf strain. It was one of those things where it looked a lot worse than, thankfully, it was. Um, but he goes straight down, and people are just absolutely terrified. Um, you know, it, it got to the point where we came out, it was a calf strain, and... Um, the people, the Cincinnati Bengals had to send a social media message out like, hey, um, stop offering us your calves. That's not how it works. Uh, he's going to be fine. Um, Jamar Chase, right after practice, well, they came right out. Zach Taylor, right after practice, came right out and was like, hey, um, you know, no worries. He'll be back. Um, he's fine. Jamar Chase stated right after, like, no, 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 he's good. We have this thing where we nod to each other if we're okay he gave me the nod um so that was definitely helpful for Cincinnati Bengals fans to kind of take a deep breath like I said understandably they were nervous um and when anytime you get a franchise quarterback scrambling out of the pocket and understandably there's nerves uh, like I said, you get him scrambling out of the pocket. He goes down. It's non-contact. You always hear about, oh, man, non-contact's the worst because that means the body just gave out. You know, it's not a situation where he gets hit and twisted and turned and things on the ground. It's just the body quit, um, which, of course, strikes fear in the heart of every single Bengals fan or every single Joe Burrow fan. You know, he's an LSU alum just like myself. I definitely want to see the guy healthier and playing. So, um Seeing him go down like that, as I said, especially non-contact, definitely shook the nerves uh, a little bit. But like I said, it was quickly reported right after that um, that he was able to um, be diagnosed quickly with a calf strain. Um, so kudos to Joe Burrow there for dodging what, again, appeared like a very serious injury. At the point of attack, like I said, your guy scrambles to the right, 
fairly natural movement, no real pressure, because of course it's the quarterback in his training camp, and then he pulls up lame. Um, so a lot of nerves went through a lot of people. But it's like he's diagnosed with a calf strain, he'll be fine. Two to four weeks, he wasn't going to play in the preseason anyway. This is kind of confirms he won't even think about seeing the field, um, and it'll be keeping very light. He should be ready to go for week one. No reason why he shouldn't be. Um, and then we got to the news, the bombshell news, the news that kind of dropped on everybody from the sky, basically. Um, I've never seen this happen. This is one of those things that as I read it, I almost was waiting on the, oh, it was off the record that came on the record or a recording that somebody got out of a locker room. And this felt like when Antonio Brown recorded Mike Tomlin's speech in the locker room. He went on Facebook Live in the middle of Mike Tomlin's post-game speech from like behind a locker and like recorded Mike. Like it felt like something where two friends, Sean Payton and the reporter's a friend and they get to talking and the guy just asks him a question and Sean forgets to say off the record. And then the guy records it and prints it the next day. And Sean has to immediately backtrack everything. It, it felt like one of those moments. Now, Sean did backtrack some of it this morning. Coach Payton for the Denver Broncos. He backtracked some of his inflammatory comments about Nathaniel Hackett um, this morning. Pretty much said I it was the first guy I saw. First questions I saw really early in the morning. I barely had anything in me. I just, he said, he just started talking. The guy's a friend, really good at his job, kind of giving the wink, wink, like he kind of eased me into it kind of thing. And he said, I got comfortable. He even mentioned one time, he said, I kind of had my Fox hat on and not my Broncos hat because Sean Payton was an analyst booth where you're, where you're critical. And that was one of the things recently retired players had, they had to toe that line or recently retired coaches, whatever, had to toe that line of, I still have friends in this business. I still know these people. I still may want to come back, especially players. Like, I still may want to come back. Coaches, I still may want to come back. Like, so I can't be overly critical. How do I be critical? And just be like, oh, no, it's my job. Like, um, I remember uh, Charles Barkley. The reason him and Michael Jordan fell out is because he said something about Jordan's ownership. And him and Jordan have been cool since. So it's that thing where you got to toe that line of I still know these people, I worked with him, I coached him, I traded him, I released him, you know, that sort of thing, that balancing. So he said he had his Fox hat on and not his, his, his Denver Bronco coach hat, and he let Nathaniel Hackett have it. Holy crap. I've never, like, everything I thought I saw, and, you know, I think I know football pretty well. I'm a high school football coach defensive coordinator for those who didn't know um i watch the games closely i analyze this stuff i break it down i care about it with you guys like i thought i saw stuff and stuff just wasn't adding up for me but to hear sean payton absolutely excoriate him my god he i mean he blamed him for everything and he didn't even blame him for too much on the field stuff it was stuff like they couldn't get pre-snap. They couldn't get the call. And they were 29th and pre-snap. Apparently, it was both sides of the ball. 
Um, he blamed they call he blamed the parents for Russell Wilson. He said the GM and the president and everybody else who watched it happen. He said everything I heard in Nathaniel Hackett did, we're doing the exact opposite. He said, watch how the Jets go down this year. He was saying he saw the Jets. He see they seen the Jets before and Washington put together the dream team. And he said he was a young assistant with the Giants and Washington put together the dream team and he was wondering, Oh my god, how are we even gonna compete with them? And they won like nine games. He said, Watch how the Jets go down this year. I mean, it was just bang, 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 pew, 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 all across the USA Today on the record. It was absolutely insane. Like, I was just sitting there like, I agree, but good Lord. First of all, let's get that out of the way. I think just going to win nine games this year. Wait, what do I have them at? I picked every game this year. I have the Jets at eight. I'm sorry. Eight games this year. Let's just get that out the way. Secondly, Nathaniel Hackett is not very good at coaching. I don't know why the Jets, if you're going to go get Aaron Rodgers, didn't just keep Mike LaFleur because Matt LaFleur was the head coach of Green Bay. Mike LaFleur runs similar systems. They're brothers. I felt like that was a natural transition. Maybe I was wrong. Apparently, I was wrong. They got rid of Mike LaFleur, brought in Nathaniel Hackett, brought in Aaron Rodgers. Ironically, the Denver Broncos, reportedly, only hired Nathaniel Hackett because remember the Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes 12 months ago? They were trying to get his offensive coordinator from Green Bay as the head coach of Denver and then bring Rodgers from Green Bay into Denver. The problem was Denver, Green Bay either wasn't sold enough on Jordan Love or wasn't fed up enough with Aaron Rodgers. Kept Aaron Rodgers another year. Denver pivots and go gets Russell Wilson. They probably, if they go with Russell Wilson, would have had the, the Seattle Seahawks offensive coordinator to the head man of Denver and then bring Russell in. Um... And because they, they were trying to avoid what happened to me with Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning came from Denver. Tom Brady, too. Peyton Manning came from Indy, went to Denver, tried to run whatever system they had in Denver for like a week or two weeks. Didn't last long. And it's okay, we're doing this my way. Put his system in, taught it to the coaches basically. This is how it's run, this is how it's set up. When this happens, it's usually current. Boom, 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 boom. Because even at the high school level, once you know a system so well, the quarterback. Like I said, even at the high school level, and the team should go, okay, it's third and seven. We usually run boom, 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 boom. It's third and six. It's second and eight. We usually go boom, boom, boom. Okay, we're trailing down 14. This is the sequence of plays. Like, you should have it in your brain. So Peyton knew it so well, he could coach it. He could run it. Peyton was running no huddle before anybody was running no huddle pretty much. And consistently, bam, 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 touchdown. You know, so Peyton put it in. Tom went to Tampa. Running Bruce Arians, no risking, no biscuit, gunning, gunning, they're struggling. Tom's frustrated, that shit, they're struggling. They have a bye week. He said, Tom comes in, puts in the Brady's offense, puts in the offense he's used to running. They take off, win the Super Bowl. Um, because again, I could teach you what usually happens. Now, you can add your own wrinkle and add your own spice to it, but I can teach you the plays, I get you the playbook, I can teach you what usually happens. And they kind of molded it. They took the language that left, which was running already. And molded it into Brady's language and what it's supposed to look like. Bam, you won a Super Bowl. Why didn't Why didn't Leftwich get the head coaching job after that instead of Ty Bowles? I don't know. But bam, you won a Super Bowl. Right. So last year you took Russell Wilson and put him in Aaron Rodgers' offense, but Nathaniel Hackett was running the show. Nathaniel Hackett sucked at calling the plays and he sucked at game management. So as a head coach, hear me out. As a head coach, level football team. Right, you had to make a choice between giving up game management decisions 
or giving up play calling decisions. As the head coach, the only choice there, no bullshit, sorry for my language, the only choice there is giving up play calling decisions. Because you're the head coach, you have to game and team manage. That is your choice, period. That's the only option you got. I can't help you any further than that. I really can't. He hires a game management coach. So why are you the head coach? At that point, you're an offensive coordinator with a fancy title. Because you're not game managing the game because the guy in your ear is telling you what to do in game management decisions based on, I'm sure, analytics. If you're not managing the game and you suck at play calling, what are you doing? By November, a few weeks before he gets fired, he gives up play calling. So he's not game managing because he's a game management coach. He's not offensive play calling because he gave that up trying to kickstart the offense. And of course, he's not defensive play calling. He's there collecting a check. The GM goes, and then they fire Nathaniel Hackett. He's 4 and 13. He's canned. Or 2 and 13. Something like that. Something ridiculous. 4 and 11. I don't know. But he's canned. Um, update. Joe Burrow is supposed to be sidelined several weeks due to his calf strain. Which is right what I said. I say he should be ready to go. Um, he should be ready to go by week one. Several weeks. We're about four weeks out from the regular season. Again, he should be ready to go by week one. And actually, I had a brain cramp. We're about six weeks out from the regular season. Calf strain is anywhere from three to six. So even if it's one of the worst calf strains that could be a pure strain, He'll be ready to go for week one. Uh, probably took about four weeks to so have two weeks to get warmed up, get back into the flow of the offense. Um, it's his offense. So get back into the flow of the offense, and he'll be ready to go uh, by week one. But anyway, so back to the Denver Broncos. You you shoved Russell Wilson square peg into Nathaniel Hackett around hole. Nathaniel Hackett was useless. He's fired. That's how you even get a Sean Payton. I mean, what he said was true, but I guess you never heard it. Um, and then you've got an ex-Jets, an ex-Broncos current Jets player, offensive lineman. So he was working with Nathaniel Hackett then. He's working with Nathaniel Hackett now. Um, he said, oh, something along the lines of you're going to realize, or he's saying this now because he realized what he got himself into. Um, but you're going to see, basically. So you know, basically, like, you know what you got yourself into now. You're going to realize what you're saying is now because you realize what you got yourself into call Sean Payton a bum and to hashtag Bounty Gate, which, okay, check out the Bounty Gate here. Sean Payton is a P.J. Williams missed tackle in the NFC Championship game against the Vikings, or NFC, what NFC Championship game, it was the second round, because the Vikings team ended up playing the Eagles in a title game, that's the Nick Foles Super Bowl. Um, and then the following year, he has the, the infamous Rams no call in the NFC title game to play the Patriots in the Super Bowl, so he's not a bum. He's also in another NFC Championship game with his first year on the staff because that's the year they got Reggie Bush, Drew Brees, everybody came together. They lost to the Bears in the NFC title game in Chicago because Reggie Bush has the famous long run outrunning Brian Erlacher to the end zone from like 70 yards away in the snow. It was insane. Um, that's an NFC title game as well to play the Colts in the Super Bowl. That's the year Peyton wins the Super Bowl. His first one. He's not a bum. So... Know your history before you call Sean Payton a bum. But I think what Sean Payton does, he said it. He said, people know I'm savvy in the media. He was smart. He excoriated the past coach. He excoriated the past culture. Basically announced to the world, it's a different culture, it's a different team. 
those guys who were hacking loyalists are now Jets. They got those guys out of here. They're not here anymore. So, um, big, big, major kudos to Sean Payton for having the gall to do that. Um, It's not something you would ever see, um, to me, I thought you would ever see from a big-time head coach. But I think Sean Payton is speaking with a sense of invincibility. He paid me about $100 million to come out of retirement. I was fine as a Fox analyst. I was making good money. Pay him about $100 million to come out of retirement. Probably even pick up the phone. You handed me a situation where I got a team pretty much ready to go. A um, couple pieces here and there. Maybe a, a standout at running back. Maybe an offensive lineman. Possibly a linebacker. But they're pretty much ready to go. As far as they're ready to go win. Uh, now they're in the division with the Chiefs. That's a pain. And the Chargers now. That's a pain. But other than that, like, they're ready to go compete for a title right now with a real head coach. Um, it would depend on how much left to Russell Wilson, but I believe in Russell Wilson. So I think they're ready to go compete, and I think Sean knew that. And he needed a culture. He's thinking this is my last job. I'm not taking another job after this. I'm going to go back to Fox after this is done. Like, I'm done as far as I don't need to capitulate to anybody. I'm never going to hire Nathaniel Hackett. Like, I don't need to capitulate to anybody and bow down to anybody because this is my last job. I'll go in the booth right after. So anyway, five million, two years, I'm, I'm going in the booth $100 million richer. Um, so that's something that I think he spoke with the level of impunity and immunity um, because he knew that he didn't have to deal with the consequences of, oh, man, I may have to call the Jets for a job. You know what I'm saying? Or I may have to call friends of whoever um, for a job. Like, I don't need that. Um, George Patton's friends. I think it's George Patton's friends. Who was the last GM of the... uh, No, he's a new GM of the Denver Broncos. But, you know, like, I may have to call uh, Woody Johnson's friends to get a job. Like, nope. Robert Sollis, nope. Not at all. Hackett's friends. Like, nope. It's my last job. So, with that level of comfortability and level of security, he spoke his mind. But I also said he was sleepy, and people, when they're sleepy, usually can't hold back as much as they want to. So, their true feelings come out, but that's how he felt. I'm sure that's how a lot of people felt. He called it one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. I agree. It was bad. It was god-awful. Um, and so, Sean Payton spoke his mind, and I respect him for doing it. Uh, the NFL running back market is the same. Saquon Barkley basically took the same contract he could have signed two months ago or signed a month and a half from now. Um, because instead of a two, instead of a one-year, 10.1 fully guaranteed franchise tag, he signed a one-year, $11 million, up to $11 million contract with $9 million fully guaranteed, up to $2 million of incentives. He basically took the same contract. He can make $990,000 more. I don't get it. But with, this, but with the contract set up, with the CBA and how the CBA set up, once you didn't negotiate that long-term contract in that window with that deadline, with the deadlines, oh, they're going to play on the tag, they're going to play on the tag, they're going to play on the tag, there's a much lesser-known rule that says you can sign a new one-year contract. So basically, on the tag, you can just up your tag number. So if you get offered, I say $10.1 million is the running back tag. And like Saquon negotiated a new, he basically got a 990K raise. Good for him, but he probably could have got that deal in a month and a half and not have to deal with camp or preseason or anything. Show that we weren't ready to go. Um, or he can negotiate some big one year, $15 million deal. You know, I, Saquon could have ran the risk. Once the tag is offered, it's there. They can't really pull your tag once it goes past the deadline. So he could have ran the risk of the Giants opening the season 
Um, I have their schedule in front of me. Dallas at Arizona. So they're probably going to win the Arizona game, but at San Fran and home Seattle. If he was willing to sit out the first month, I have them in that stretch going two and two. But let's say they go one and three. And based, pretty much based on my rules, they go one and three. They could very well lose Dallas with one. Um, I think they beat Arizona. I think they lose Seattle and they lose San Fran. They lose to Miami and lose to Buffalo. So let's say he had the goal. That's with, it, with him. Let's say he's decided to sit out and that happens to them. They start off one and five. Oh my God, we need Saquon. Here's one year's $18 million with a no tag and a no whatever, whatever, whatever. Or start off one and three. No tag, no franchise tag clause, and a no um, whatever. Just you're totally free after this year. We just need you back. One year's $18 million. Please come back and save us. Please, Saquon. Now you got your power back. Instead, by not getting a no tag and not getting whatever, you're basically in the same spot you were in last year, and you now you have to report to camp and do what they want you to do for the potential of 990 grand more. The downside is there's a potential for 990 grand less. Like I don't under or really a million dollars less. I don't understand what the benefit of this was. Now Josh Jacobs is holding out, but the team's gonna go to him either say play on 10.1 or we get the Saquon deal. Okay, the exact same deal Saquon got. Like, but Jacobs is probably going to say, shit, that's my options anyway. I might as well wait until week one in time and then come in the building week one and play ball. Like, that way at least they don't have to worry about camp or any other stuff. Um, he's not under contract, not under a tender. So, the running backs coming together. Uh, Dalvin Cook's talking about it. The group chats now, they were reported. Derrick Henry's in it. They're all trying to come together and get their market back up. Um, Nick Wright made a hell of a point. Like, the reason why there's going to be more and more quarterbacks coming in, so that mid-level quarterback point is going to plummet. The elite guys are going to be the elite guys, but that mid-level quarterback market is going to plummet. Less and less people are going to be running backs. This means that running back market is going to get higher because there's going to be less of them there. There's going to be less replacement-level players to make the even a top guy, 80% of him is not going to be available for a tenth of his money. And that's going to take five, six, seven years. These guys may not be able to benefit from it, but that's basically what's going to happen uh, to the running back market. So it's going to swing back up. It's like the big man's coming back in basketball. It's going to swing back. This might just take five, six, seven years for it to come back to where running backs are valuable again because you can't get, you can't go from league leading rusher to a thousand yard back for instead of $10 million, you get it for $1 million. Like Isaiah Pacheco was the starting running back for the Chiefs last year. He made 970 k or something like that. Uh, I don't think any, any leading rusher, any Super Bowl champion for the past 10 years has made over $1.5 million for that season. Like, so when that stops being the case, let's say it might take five, six, seven years before that seventh round pick and that first round pick really aren't that far apart. Um, then the money will swing back up because you'll be more valued and then it'll ebb and flow just like anything else. Um, but to the highlight of the A block, it's when I pick literally every single game. Uh, I print a schedule out. I print a schedule grid out. Um, I got this one from print printyourbrackets.com. Um, they had the 2023 schedule, every single game. Um, and so I was able to pick them all. As I sit down a spot, about an hour, turn everything off. I have automatic rules. You split your division. You win every home division game, you lose every road division game. Unless you're a god-awful team, you usually that usually happens. Usually anywhere from two and four to five and one in your division. Sweeps in your division are rare. Losing every division game is rare. You usually land between two and four and five and one. 
this also gives room for games that I pick incorrectly to kind of balance stuff out. So everyone starts out the year with three wins. Everyone starts out the year with three losses. And that takes away the common opponents in your division. And then you just go from there um, picking games. So if there's a green check up here, there's a black check at the bottom. So on and so forth, they balance stuff out. Like I said, literally every single game gets picked. Um, it takes about an hour to do it properly. Um, and so how the records stack out, we're going to go team by team and how the playoffs shake out. I'm not going to go to the playoff bracket. When I redo this again, probably right before week one, that's when I'll go through how I see the season going. But this is kind of an early prediction, um, kind of your early first week of training camp sort of prediction. Um, oh, Trey Turner, speaking of training camp, Trey Turner for the Saints suffered a ruptured um Oh, ruptured. He's out for the season. I can't think of his injury right this second. Ruptured, ruptured quadriceps, and he's out for the season. Uh, he was signed this week. New Orleans native, LSU player. He's been in the league about nine years. Um, he was signed this season. Um, so, um, BC's home rehabbing is the positive. Uh, but I know he really wanted to put on his hometown black and gold. He was on a veteran minimum deal, expected to compete for a starting position. Uh, ruptured his quadriceps, and he's out for the season. But, Back to the schedule. So, in the NFC, we're going to go NFC, then AFC. Uh, in the NFC North, I have the Lions at 10-7, and 7, the Bears at 8-9, and 9, the Packers at 7-10, and 10, the Vikings at 9-8, and 8, Lions winning the division. Um, in the South, I have the Saints winning the division at 9-8, and 8, Falcons coming in second at 6-11, and 11, both the Panthers and the Bucks going 4-13. and 13. Um, In the West, in the NFC West, I have a three-way tie for first, ultimately the 49ers win off tiebreaker. But 49ers at 9-8, Rams at 9-8, Seahawks at 9-8, Cardinals at 6-11. Um, for the NFC East, I have the Eagles winning it at 12-5, Cowboys at second at 11-6, Giants third at 7-10, Commanders fourth at 6-11. Um, as they're still, they're still in their post-Dan Snyder bliss. Um, in the AFC North, I have the Cincinnati Bengals winning the division at 12-5, Baltimore coming in second at 11-6, Cleveland coming in third at 10 and 7. Pittsburgh bringing up the rear at 7 and 10. For the South, I have the Jaguars winning it at 11 and 6. Titans coming in second at 9 and 8. Texans coming in third at 7 and 10. Anthony Richardson and the Colts bringing up the rear at 4 and 13. For the West, I have the Chiefs winning it at 12 and 5. The uh, one second, I have a two-way tie for second between the Chargers and the Broncos. Chargers getting it in. Chargers coming in second due to tiebreaker at 10 and 7. Broncos coming in third at 10 and 7. Raiders bring up the red at 6 and 11. And then for the AFC East, I have the uh, Bills winning get off tiebreaker against the Patriots at 10 and 7. The Patriots get 10 and 7. The Dolphins and the Jets are tied for third. No one cares who finishes third um, at 8 and 9. Which goes into the playoffs. The NFC would be your number one seeded Eagles getting the bye. Two seed Lions, three seed 49ers. Four seed Saints, five seed Cowboys, six seed Vikings, seven seed Seahawks. With the AFC uh, going Chiefs getting the bye with the one seed, Bengals at number two, Jags at number three, Bills at number four, Ravens at number five, Chargers at number six, and seven seed New England Patriots. Um, so that is how the playoffs would shake out. It'd be a very interesting stacked playoff, especially at quarterback. Um, which quarterback and head coach, how you win in this league. It'd be a stacked playoffs if that was how it shake out. Like I said, this is my initial predictions. I'll do one of these right again the week the week one preview show, or at least the 
that week there's an off week between week three of the preseason and week one but probably when i do it again um it'll be my big prediction show which when i we did pretty much an all nfl show um that'll be when i do the schedule again when i update i do schedule again i do the playoffs i do the awards all that would be the nfl preview show and that show usually hits the week between the last week of the preseason there's an off week and then week one of the regular season that off week is when that show will come out uh, but up next we're going to shift to the nba and talk about what's going down with the association to do a little some quick hitters on the NBA. Sorry about the long gate block. It's almost NFL season. I get excited. At one point, we're going to be doing 45, 50-minute hour shows just on the NFL. Um, so, again, apologize for the long A block, but I wanted to get all that information in there. There's a lot of good stuff in there that's happening in the NFL, so I want to talk about that. But shifting over to the association, um, the Boston Celtics broke the bank. They, they did it, um, which I said this, what, a month ago? Maybe more. Uh, maybe on the last show before the break, I said, hey, guys, they got no choice. Maybe a little before that. But once Jalen Browns qualified for the Supermax, that was the end of the negotiation. Once once he became an all-star and he qualified for the Supermax, that was it. 304 was shocking. I thought the number was 296. Because uh, that means Jason Tatum's number, I think it's 340-something or something like that. So I thought the number was, 390, was 296. So I thought it was 600 million between the two of them. But regardless, or maybe Tatum's 320-something, but regardless, once he became Supermax eligible, that was the end of the negotiation. Because unless the only two things could happen at that moment, once he became Supermax eligible, either you trade him in the offseason, you don't you don't pay on the contract, you just trade him. DeMarcus a la DeMarcus Cousins with the Kings. The Kings didn't want to pay Boogie. They decide, okay, we're going to trade Boogie before he gets to the point. Like, we're going to trade him before he extends. Because he was going to extend in New Orleans before he got hurt. And then everything went off the, off the rail. Um, but before we're going to extend him, we're going to trade him. So, either trade him a la Boogie Cousins. Risk playing it out. And the offseason comes and he signs for the higher number. Or, you don't offer him the Supermax. You offer him literally anything else. And he says screw you either trade me or i'm walking in free agency for nothing like that was your options there you had no other no other weapon to fire like you know it's someone like oh, i got all these bags all these tricks in my bag and i got all these guns in my holster i can fire all these bullets in the gun that was it you had three supermax trade or risk him walking out the door for nothing if you don't offer him said supermax so they paid him five years 304 million dollars he's Currently, the highest-paid player in the history of the NBA in a singular contract. Um, the last year of the deal is projected to be about $69 million. Now, this feels to me like when Mike Conley got paid. Remember Mike Conley was the first person to go over 150 He signed for five years, $150, I think $4 million. That was not even long ago. It might have been eight, nine years ago. Um, he was the first person to go over 150 
And people lost their minds. Oh, my God, I can't believe Mike Conley is the highest paid player in the history of the NBA. And this, that, and the third. People lost their everlasting minds. Um, and then in two years, no one cared because we started players started going north of 200 comfortably. And no one cared about Mike Conley's 150. Now, I think it's going to take a minute for Jalen Brown's 304 to get, like, to, the, like, Mike Conley's 150 guy. But, like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, on the projected pace, may cost $400 million on his contract. Luka, Tatum, those guys are going to be, Luka, I think, is projected 350. Tatum's going to be 330. Um, Like, Ja, in three, four years, is going to extend for his Supermax, more than likely. Zion, if he's healthy, he's going to extend for a Supermax. Like, Brandon Ingram's an all-star-ish level player. If he gets two all-stars in this contract, he's going to be a super max player. Like, there's, there's, three, there's 300 and eight, nine years are going to go, oh, man, that wasn't even that much. But at the moment, he's the highest-paid player in the history of the NBA in a single contract, and he can't go left. And everyone knows it. Uh, like I said, it was one of those things after the finals, after the series, I was saying, like, man, that's a decision because you know that the people in the NBA are openly saying he can't go left. I I was like, I would struggle sleeping at night, paying a guy that much money, knowing he can't go left. And because of this new CBA, you're stuck. That's before Porzingis. I'm like, you're stuck pushing, you're stuck in the second tax floor where you really can't improve your roster at all. And you've got a guy who can't go left in Brown. You've got a Jason Tatum, who's going to pass Brown as the highest paid player ever. So you're going to have the two biggest contracts in NBA history on your roster because you're the first team to ever have two full Supermaxes. Um, not the 25% Supermax, like 30, 35% Supermax. They're going to have two of them. Like, that's insane. And then Porzingis just extended for like 30-ish million dollars a year. Like, that is insanity what they're doing in Boston. But they're doing the same thing in Phoenix. If you're going to be in the second tax floor, shove past it. Don't don't consider it. Don't think, oh, we got to stay right around the bubble. Once you're in it, all the restrictions apply. Whether you're one penny in it or you're $30 million in it, you're still under the same penalties. So you might as well, like I said, if you're going to go into that second tax floor, shove past it. So it used to be teams weren't willing to pay the luxury tax. I'm not going to pay the luxury tax. It's just it's cost prohibitive. I mean, you'd pay it from zero to four point nine 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 million dollars, but like once you got past five million dollars, teams weren't trying to pay that repeat. Or if you were barely in it one year, you were getting out of it the next year to avoid repeat of taxes, all the other stuff. Now with the new CBA and how much money people are bringing in, it's the second apron now. So okay, I go in the first apron, especially if I'm competing in the playoffs every year. I get playoff revenue. Um, if I'm a team that can push a little bit, a couple of rounds, I'll definitely go into that first level. That second level, I better be winning a title. If I'm in that second level three years, I better be in the finals two of them and have at least one ring. Because other than that, I spent a whole lot of money for no reason. Um, and so people are making decisions about what to do with salaries. Boston decided we're going to go into the second level. We're going to just fly into it. It doesn't matter. Phoenix might just be a new owner, new money, new ego, wants to win. Screw it. Let's go into the second luxury. Let's go into the second tax floor. Go as far as we can go in it. How you have basically four max contracts. Now, none of them are supermaxes. Or none of them are the 35% supermax. Um, but you've got basically four max contracts. 
you just decide I'm gonna go into luxury tax, I don't care. Um, so kudos for Ishbia and whoever owns the Celtics for deciding we don't care about the luxury tax. We're just gonna go into it. Now, Boston did make a luxury tax-ish move by going by get by letting Brandon Grant Williams, sorry, walk. Um, that was a luxury tax-ish move. It was built around not going super, super insane in the tax, but they could have easily matched his offer and kept Grant Williams too. That's also a personnel decision. Um, they got a hell of a first-round pick back. That 2030 first-round pick from Dallas may be a hell of a pick because that's probably post-Luka and definitely post-Kyrie. Um, so that could be a beautiful asset for the Boston Celtics. Um, but again, it's also clean up the logjam and big man. Because if you had Grant Williams, Robert Williams, Chris Porzingis, some of them wasn't going to play. And because of Joe Mazzulla's offensive tendencies, it was probably going to be Robert Williams. Uh, because Grant Williams has a much more developed offensive game. So then what we're going to do with Robert Williams, it's time for him to extend. He probably wasn't going to resign. Or you're going to offer him peanuts and he's going to walk away anyway. So it was one of those situations where you probably made your best decision for your roster. But at the time, it looks like a tax, a luxury taxes move. Because Grant Williams is signing 454. Uh, with the Dallas Mavericks, got Eminem being a full mid-level exception guy. Um, so that's a move Boston had to make. I kind of like what they're doing. Uh, obviously, I think it's pretty obvious now. Brogdon's the starter. Brogdon, Tatum, Brown, Porzingis, Robert Williams, probably your starting five. That's a tall, long starting five. Four of them are capable of hitting jumpers. Um, so you're going to have to keep... Oh, Derek White's also there. Derek White, ball Derek White could be your starter too. So Derek White, Brown, Tatum. Like, that's a, still a good lineup. That they can deploy, especially if Hamazula wants to score the ball. Um, Dame Watch is officially on. Pause. No one cares at this point because the NBA is frozen until somebody makes a move because these salaries are ridiculous. And all you're doing is creating strife for your organization, yourself, and the organization you're trying to go to. So kudos to Damian Lillard for that. James Harden as well. Um, the Clippers have had what they call unserious talks. Uh, or it's being called, rather, unserious talks with the um, Philadelphia 76ers regarding James Harden. They're unwilling to part with the assets to get Harden. Harden, the Sixers aren't willing to give him away. And even if they were willing to give him away, you've got to clear cast space out to get James Harden. That's the problem. Like, like that's the issue with opting in and going for that. Instead of like, you know, trying to negotiate a signing trade, you see the issue. Same thing with Dane. You have 170-ish million dollars left on the contract. That's oh, I'm sorry, 200 200-ish million dollars on the contract. I forgot he signed for that supermax. 200-ish million dollars left on the contract. It's really hard to trade. Like very hard to trade, especially when you got so many teams pushing against that second level of the cap. Um, that is. It's, a, it's hard to make these deals, man. It's pretty impossible, especially when teams are looking and saying, I'm not about to gut my roster for one player. That makes it really hard, um, especially when that team already has a couple of stars on it. Uh, so we'll be definitely keeping our eye on both all three of those situations, Boston, uh, Portland with Dame, and Philadelphia with James Harden, hoping for a resolution soon rather than later. But up next, we're going to shift to the Big 12 and discuss what's going down with conference realignment.
Welcome back into the show. I think the only thing moving more than the NBA is college football. Um, for the second offseason in a row, really, we've had major realignment news. Um, it started off with Texas and Oklahoma speeding up their exit from the Big 12 instead of coming to the SEC in 2025. They're coming in for the 2024 season of football. Um, and now Colorado is one of the teams replacing them in the Big 12, um, led by, I'm sure, the popularity with Deion Sanders arriving in Boulder, Colorado, um, and Colorado actually being a former Big 12 school. Um, they are going home. Um, the Big 12 commissioner released a statement, a la Michael Jordan, for immediate release from such and such and such, with the quote, they're back, in regards to Colorado returning back to the Big 12. And they leave the Pac-12 up a creek without a paddle um, because they have no media deal. They've lost UCLA, USC. Now they've lost Colorado. And they are quickly losing their talent that exists in the conference. Um, Oregon, what's Oregon going to do? Oregon's been linked to the Big Ten. when you They were trying to jump in the mix when UCLA, UCLA were going to the Big Ten because Oregon feels like a Big Ten school, um, very academic, West Coast. Now, not, now, that's a, not a Big Ten function, but very academic. They've got cold, wet weather. They've got a bunch of cool uniforms. They're a Nike school. They've got a rich alumni, a la Phil Knight. Um, they've got players. They're good in baseball. They're good in football. They're good in basketball. I'm sure they can probably get a hockey team put together quickly rather, sooner rather than later. Um, and so I think Oregon's going to jet. I think Oregon would be attractive to the Big 12. Now, that's a hell of a travel. That, mean, that means officially Big 12 will go coast to coast. I believe the Big 12 has UCF coming in in 2024. Um, that'd be great for a TV deal because then they can say we can play at 11, 2.30, 6, and 9. Um, Central time. To obviously translate that to Eastern or whatever time. But they can play in all four time slots um, if they end up getting it in Oregon because then... You can say, okay, if Oregon hosts, um, then they can play Pac-12 at night style at 9 or 10 p.m. And then if UCF hosts, they can play at 11 or 12. You know, and you play it literally all throughout the day. Um, you could recruit all across the country. Like, it would be a great for the Big 12. They'd pull off my American conference theme thing where one conference goes from coast to coast. They play all through the middle. They play around the outside. They just play. They have a team all across the country. Now, a pain in basketball. But in football, you got to get on a plane either way. So what's a one-hour flight to a two-hour flight? Now, Oregon at UCF would be incredibly interesting. Um, uh, UCF at Kansas is going to be fun. Like Some of these matchups are going to be quite interesting, especially in December where you get a kid from Central Florida. Now he's playing at Kansas late November. It's snowing sideways. Um, so that's going to be very intriguing matchups. But... The Pac-12 needs to do something. Now, the Pac-12 offered two relief bouts, and they did nothing. They originally had an offer, reportedly, from the Big 12 to combine conferences. They said no. Back when the Big 12 knew they were losing Texas and Oklahoma, basically, take your top six, my top six, we come together, make one conference. Or your top seven, my top seven, whatever. We come together, make one conference. I don't know what they were going to call it, but that was that was the Krabby Patty formula that was tossed out. The Pac-12 said no. Then the Pac-12 put their foot in their mouth last week by saying, oh, we got Dion, and that's going to be the big kahuna, the big fish for our media negotiations, and then Dion's Audi 5000. Um, so, 
I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do. They have no media deal. Their three biggest brands, well, their two biggest brands and their biggest star are now leaving the conference in 12 months. I mean, what are you going to do if you're the Pac-12? I don't know. We knew probably 10 years ago this was going to come down maybe more than that, maybe 12, 13 years ago when conference realignment and the super conferences became a thing. Somebody was going to die. We all thought it was going to be the ACC. Uh, or no, we all thought it was going to be the Big 12. That the ACC, the SEC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12 would morph into the Pac-16, the Big 16, the ACC, and the SEC. Um, and then the, the Big 12 would just die. It, it looks like the Pac-12 is going to be the die. The team that's going to die. Um, because that's just... I mean, there's no way to answer here. I think the SEC is holding for now. Um, maybe they go into Florida. Maybe they go call a Miami or something. But I think the SEC is holding for now. I think the Big Ten, unless they add Oregon, I think they're probably holding for now. Oregon's got to get out of the Pac-12 because they'll be carrying the media rights. And that's just not a good mix for them. Stanford could be a Big Ten school. Academic, smart. They're good at a lot of sports. Not really good at basketball right now, but they're good at a lot of sports. They're academic and they're smart. Can see Stanford going Big Ten, maybe Oregon goes Big Twelve, um, but I just can't see some of those bigger brands sticking around the Pac-12 and watching it die. Maybe the WAC takes the Big Pac-12 spot, but the Pac-12 has the Rose Bowl. There's so much convoluted stuff here. On the Pac-12, I call the WAC and I say, let's come together under the Big Twelve, under the Pac-12. We become the Pac-14 or Pac-16, whatever. When it gets to the Rose Bowl. You know, and that would kind of be the thing I would dangle in front of smaller schools. You win, you're in the Rose Bowl. Um, so they're going to have to do something. Uh, because right now it looks like the transfer portal is open and the Pac-12 is getting absolutely robbed. Um, so they're going to have to figure something out. Otherwise, they're going to be a conference without a power or a team in it. Um, but up next, we're going to shift to our best for last, which is going to be a quick discussion on Shohei Otani. talk about the freakish at this point Shohei Otani I'm not going to go into what he's doing on the season I don't that's talked about enough I want to talk about what he did yesterday what he did yesterday should be illegal they had a double header yesterday and that's all I want to talk about and then we're going to end the show and we're going to wish you guys a happy weekend and whatever I'm going to move on with my life yesterday they had a double header Shohei Otani pitches the first game he has a 111 one hit complete game shutout. He finishes the game, complete game by himself. I got it, rest. Less than two hours later, he's already hit two home runs in the second game. That's ridiculous. That's like if Patrick Mahomes decided to throw five touchdowns or Aaron Donald gets four sacks and then throws three touchdowns. 
that's absolutely absurd what he's doing. Um, never seen anything like it. The Angels pulled him off the trade market. It's going to be an incredibly interesting for agency to see what happens. I think the Yankees are going to throw a blank check at him and say sign here. So it is going to be very interesting to see what happens with Otani's free agency. The Angels are about two games out of the last place of the wild card. So they end up not making the wild card. Um, and they lose Otani, not trading him. It may end up being one of the biggest gaffes in sports history because he would command probably three current major league players and five farm players easily um, on the open market. Because you get Otani, you're contending. If you're, if you're a Yankees, if you're, you know, I'm thinking Yankees, I'm a Yankees fan, but if you're a Yankees, um, if you're a Rays, if you're an Orioles, um, if you're a Dodgers, if you're a Astros, like if you're one of these teams that are in the contention, you just need a superstar. Shohei puts you over the top. Think about an outfield when Shohei's playing the field of Juan Carlos, Stan, Aaron Judge, and Shohei Otani, who's beating that. Um, and then he's in the he's in the rotation now. Him and um, oh, I can't think of the guy's name. The pitch, Gary Cole, are the two aces on the ace, on the Yankee staff. Like that's the kind of thing that he's gonna command in for agency. I don't. I thought the Angels should have traded him. Highest person, highest bidder wins. But we'll see what happens. But that is all we have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Um, this is your host and owner, Justin Jackson, signing out.